everyone. My name is DeAndre Sinet, and I am your host for Distinct Lens Podcast. I have a very special guest with us here today. Um, actually, before I introduce her, I want to let everybody know this is my first time actually doing a Zoom recording for a podcast. So please bear with me, be patient, and if, it, if I look a bit um, awkward, that's the reason why. <laughs> I see Ms. Richardson is laughing at that. Um, my guest today, her name is Alicia Richardson. Did I pronounce it correctly? So it's Alicia Richardson. Alicia yes. Richardson. Yes. Okay, Alicia. That's a pretty name. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so you're 28. You're a talent partner specializing in DEI strategy. Mm -hmm. um, you're from Croydon, which I, I think is like an outskirt of London, right? I mean, Croydon could be considered to be South London, so yeah, okay. just say South London. Okay, South London. And yeah. um, you have a Jamaican background. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, interesting. So uh, first question, what is DEI strategy? Um, so DEI stands for diversity, equality, or some people would use that as equity and inclusion. So that's what um, it stands for, yeah. What do you think it stood for? Uh, I, I figured it was diversity and I figured it was inclusion. I was just unclear about the E. The E, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of people get thrown off by that, but yeah. Okay, so how long have you been doing that? So officially, I would say I've only been in DEI for about maybe a year and four months officially. Prior to that, my roles were, fo were solely focused on talent acquisition and strategies and retaining talent and so forth, but not really to do with the DEI. Okay. And, well, I'm going to ask a lot more follow-up questions, but first, I want to also touch on, you have a few other businesses going on as well. Could you share with us, like, what else you have going on? Yeah, so um, I so for I guess on the side, my downtime is me being a lash tech. Um, I do ladies' lashes. I've been doing it for about two years now. Um, just for those who don't know, and they're probably thinking, what does the lash tech do? Effectively, yeah, somebody like me who has no idea. <laughs> Effectively, what I do is apply false lashes onto other ladies' lashes, but it's but um, the technique is putting one lash on each lash, effectively. So it looks natural, like my lashes. Are How do you do that? Yeah. Like put one lash on a... On yeah, it's very intricate. Like you have to use um, tweezers and open up like the in between two lashes. So say this is three lashes. The tweezers would uh -huh. open it up and then I'd have that there. Then I'd stick a lash on top and I'll do that for all of your lashes so they all look longer and it looks natural. Wow. No, there's no pain involved. The only thing is, is that ladies have to lie for about maybe one to two hours just uh, with their eyes closed. But that's something that I did initially just to make a bit of extra cash um, because I get my lashes done. What I used to, now I do my own. <laughs> but yeah, so before, <laughs> but, but beforehand, um, I noticed that it was so hard to get an appointment with lash techs, and I was like, if it's so, if they're so busy, they must be making money. It just, it has, it's a no-brainer. There's a high demand for it, and I remember sometimes it will take me weeks to find one lash tech because everyone's so busy. So I said, I need to be busy too. I, I need to be making some of this money too. And the incredible thing about um, the lash tech industry is that. Um, 
all the girls are really, really sharing with knowledge. So when I was, I just used to DM girls and say, you know, what's the best glue you use? Who's the best um, provider, like for um, supplies? And um, what course did you go on? I asked every question to strange girls online, strangers, not strange girls. Mm. And they were all willingly happy to help. And actually there's a couple of lash techs that I've never met before. We mm. pass each other customers. So like, if I can't do an appointment, I'll say, do you know what? There's this lady that, that probably can, and we'll pass each other customers and it's, it's it's a great community so besides yeah yeah exactly so besides doing lashes um it's a really great way to, to connect with some great women uh-huh. when i do the lashes it's my downtime it's therapy the ladies talk about any and everything it's a great i've cried in sessions we've, we've done so much i know we talk so much in sessions um, so yeah that's one of my side hustles okay and so you sound like you're a whole uh, lash tech and counselor at the same time, okay? I am. I'm a therapist as well as a lash tech because it's, I literally have conversations with girls there and then and it doesn't leave that room. We just leave that there. And, okay. and, and, then, we re, and then we don't talk for maybe two, three weeks and then when we come back, we pick it back up. So yeah, I'm, I'm a free therapist. I should be charging more. Okay, okay. Therapist. And then what else, <laughs> what else do you have going on? Um, so I also do career coaching by default on the side. Now, I never, I never really wanted to aspire to be a career coach, um, only because it takes up a lot of time. And I find that if you're a career coach, you, you are, you have to be, you have to brand yourself that way. You have to be actively going out and, you know, putting out content and and so forth. So the reason why I say, I say that I am is because I do do it because people have asked me to do it. Num- and so many times to the point where I said I have to charge for the service because it's taken up a lot of time. Uh, so um, the type of work that I would do with people is help them with their job search strategy. And sometimes people, people will jump and say, I need help with my CV. And then I'll say, no, before you need help with your CV, what is it you want to do first? Uh, like, let's identify the skills you have the skills that you want to obtain in your career, why you want to do something. Let's start with that first. Then we can naturally build out, you know, your CV and your job search strategy. A lot of people, um, they don't have a strategy in how they approach job searching or job hunting or interviewing. And so then they mess up. They apply for any and every job. They go for interviews. They don't know what they're saying. I've seen it so many times. So I just help to structure people's thoughts and their process. Um, so I'll do that if you're on the side. Now, how um, long ago did you start this? And what's what's the name of the last the last tech business and oh. career coaching? Like, what what do you what do you call them? So, with the lash tech business, it is called MobileLashesLondon.co.uk. So you okay. can find me on the Instagram Mobile Lashes London or um, on the internet, just on my website. You can book. Okay. Um, and FYI, I'm following COVID safety guidelines, masks unnecessary you know and yeah that's with that and I clean everything sanitize everything and then with the career coaching so I haven't gone fancy with it at all because it's not my long-term aspiration I just have a calendly link and I attach that to my link tree so if you want to book um, a one-to-one session with me you can um and I've got and you said it's on where your, your LinkedIn profile so you can go on my yeah my LinkedIn profile there's my link tree and 
for those who don't know what Linktree is, it's a website that you can link to several other websites. So when you click onto my Linktree, you'll see the link to multiple things that I do, including the lashes, including the career coaching and other areas as well. Uh, okay. And how long have you been doing the career coaching? So when I first started off in recruitment about four years ago, um, that I kind of... Again, I had people asking me then, so I did it then. But again, nothing ever official. And then last year, I was introduced to Clubhouse around November times. And then, you know, as you can probably hear already, I, I love a good conversation. I love talking, love listening as well as, as, I, as I like talking. And then I started to kind of give talks and advice on, you know, CV prep, interview prep, given, and people came up on stage, asked me those questions. And no word of a lie, I can show you my DMs. After each session, I just got loads of DMs. Like, could you help me? Could you do this, that? And I said, I have to charge for this. Like, there's, there's no way. And then what that does, me charging for it, it weaves out people that are serious and non-serious. Because some people just want advice because they heard something good and they, you know, they're not serious. But for me, investing in yourself is the most important thing so if you feel like it's necessary to pay someone to help you to get to a certain point in your career then you will do it so then last year November is, is when I started doing it properly um, and you know distributing the link and yeah so far it's it's really for me I love it when candidates come back to me and say I've got an interview lined up or I've got a job offer and help me manage this process and it makes me so happy because I know how difficult it is do it like doing a job search. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there, Trey. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, who, who actually helped you as well in your job search? Like looking back at it when you was a junior and starting off, who, who helped you out? Um, you know, it was, it was a process that I went about, by, I want to say trial and error. Like I didn't really have a go-to person because I didn't necessarily have that type of career trajectory earlier on. Like I, I was teaching for years and then uh, I was teaching in a place called Beaumont, Texas. And then I moved back to Fort Worth where I'm from and I completely switched careers, industries. Like I went from teaching education to supply chain and operations and logistics, which was totally different. Uh, and I have a background, educational background in business. So I didn't really have a person to go to to say, hey, how do I navigate this? So it was a lot of trial and error on my part. Uh, what I had learned, though, up to that point was that it was super important to have a LinkedIn profile, be visible there, you know, interact with other people, mm -hmm. and then also to have an up-to-date resume that would highlight uh, key accomplishments and the value that you brought in the past that you could potentially bring to an organization. So, uh, I mean, I would say those were the key things that I learned in my own trial and error, and then refining that over time and making sure that every time um, I moved to a different position or every time I had gained new skills or experience, it was reflected uh, accurately and in the best possible way on both the CV and the, and the LinkedIn profile. Mm. So yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't have like a blueprint to it. Now, yeah. if I look back on it, I could probably write one, but I, I didn't have one, somebody to go to. So I think what you're doing is great. Um, I think a lot of people need that that guidance, that structure, because it'll make it a lot less daunting. Because I remember when I first started out and I was just trying to get my first management job. And it was like, well, 
a lot of them were saying you need X amount of years of experience. Well, I'm like, I don't have the experience. I have the education, but how am I supposed to get the opportunity if you want the experience? But I don't have the experience, but I need the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, it ended up working out because of my network. You know, it was people yeah. that I knew that actually felt, um, in a professional sense, in a personal sense, they said, mm-hmm. hey, this guy, you know, he's consistent. He executes. We've seen him do similar things in the past. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've given him multiple responsibilities that he's, you know, followed through on. So mm. they were willing to provide that opportunity. And I was in a position to take advantage of it. I was prepared, which I think is really key as well. So yeah. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that's that's how it <laughs> But do you know what? It's so good that you mentioned the thing about the networking thing, because one of the key things that I advise people do to, um, to do, and I help them with it, is, Create, um, is creating networks and go, how to go about that. So joining particular communities and connecting with certain individuals. Don't, not being afraid to ask strangers for help. I mean, mm. you know, my, I, I have a friend that's quite shy and I said to them that I'm going to try to help them find a job. And they was like, how, you know, you work in a completely different industry. Like, how are you going to do that? I said, I'm going to message people in your industry and say, look, I know someone looking. Do, do you mind if I can send over their CV? You know, and I've had an overwhelming amount of responses. Yeah, sure. Send me their CV. Just by asking strangers. And when you're one people, yeah, one thing people forget to do is, is to just be, be your true authentic self and people will receive that better than you trying to construct a long, well-written cover letter. Me, as someone that hires people, I admire it when people are very down to earth in their approach, because I sense that they've thought about what I do, they've thought about what they do, and they've made a connection, instead of just kind of blasting out a long, well-polished message that doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of words. You know, so just being straight to the point, literally, um, when I've done the reach outs this week for my friend, I just said, look, I've, I've seen that you hire for these type of roles. My friend does these type of roles in these industries similarly to use. Can I connect you both? Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. My approach was polite. You know, I'm asking. It's, it's, I'm helping them too. You know, I'm helping their job. They don't have to look for more candidates. It's a really clear ask. Yeah. There's nothing left for interpretation or confusion. I like that. Yeah. Hold on, so I want to change gears a bit. (laughs) You know, this podcast is about sharing the experiences of the Black diaspora, you know, for the purposes of us leveling up in terms of financial literacy, because I believe in our communities, disenfranchised communities specifically, like we need to start practice group group economics a bit more. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask, like, what your life was like growing up? Like, did you grow up in London? Did you grow up I know you said you have Jamaican roots. Did you yeah. spend some time there? Like, what what was that period of your life like? So growing up, wow, 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 wow. So I grew up as a Seventh Day Adventist, and um, it's okay. not not a commonly known thing. Do you know what Seventh Day Adventist is? Um, I believe the extent of my knowledge, and I might be wrong, with Seventh Day Adventist. You guys go to church on Sun Saturdays. Yes, we do. Yeah, that's that's about as much Basically. as I know. So if you could give me a little summary, that would be good. Cool. So growing up in a Seventh-day Adventist household, and by the way, being Seventh-day Adventist is a common thing in Caribbean culture, especially Jamaicans. If you go to Jamaica, most people are familiar with it or are Seventh-day Adventist. Um, the rules are, I mean, the main ones that, you know, you'd probably want to care about is like, 
you know, women can't wear trousers um, to church, like that's a no-no, or casual wear really. Um, you're not supposed to wear jewellery or have any piercings or tattoos. Um, like a no-go, of, of course, the typical um, dating was very frowned upon. There wasn't any real conversations about sex before marriage. There was, the conversation was don't do it. When in hindsight, it's really, really silly advice, in my opinion, because it's not realistic. And, and, the, and the best thing to do is to have a conversation about how to manage it, or even the why behind why it's not advisable, but just to say no is, you know, crazy. So um, they're really strict. And also growing up, when um, I used to go to, to church, or the Sabbath was considered Friday night, Sorry. You and your mom and dad and your siblings or like... Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's me. Yeah, mummy, daddy. Daddy was born in Jamaica. Mummy was born here, but her parents are Jamaican. And I have three younger sisters. So I was the eldest out of four girls. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So, yeah, so growing up, it was quite it was quite strict, to be honest. Like, we did, I wasn't really allowed to go out on Friday nights um, because that's the Sabbath. And then I was really at church until sat- Saturday nights because that was the Sabbath as well, the whole day. And um, so going to like birthday parties, like just going out and having fun wasn't really something that I was really allowed to do growing up. Um, Yeah, I had friends, but again, there was restrictions with this. Like in the week, I had to be home by a certain time. Um, There'll be times when my dad will confiscate my phone and he will will basically talk on the voicemail. I I never forget one time I came into school and my friends were like, Alice, what happened to you? I was like, yeah, guys, my dad took my phone. And then we, they played the voicemail in front of me and everyone was just busting out laughing because it was, my, it was my dad saying, hello, this is Alicia's father and she is grounded for now. So if you need to reach her, you need to call her on the house. I was like, no, he didn't. That's what he put on the voicemail? He put that on the voicemail. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and everyone was just like, up to this day, if you ask my friends from school, they would just laugh about it because it was embarrassing. You know, it was so embarrassing. So I think because of my restrictions, and bear in mind, what I will say is that I grew up um, very comfortable. My parents did very well for themselves. What, um, what did they do for a living? So now my parents own a security company. It's a, it's a, um, a global, not global, sorry, a national security company. So um, my dad just provides security for, had different contracts for construction sites. And that's what, you know, my mom hasn't had to really work for the past 20 years because she's, you know, my, my dad's look, that's, that's completely taken care of us um, as a family. And of course she has a part to play in that. She helped with the admin, the invoicing, in fact, she does all the work, actually. And my dad <laughs> goes to Jamaica several times a year and comes back home. Uh, okay. And okay. Yeah, you know, so he, he's living his best life. But they've given us a really comfortable um, up, upbringing and it's just got better over the years. Like, you know, I went to private and primary school. Um, really? You know, yeah, my, you know, my younger sister, she goes to a grammar school at the moment um, or grammar college or whatever, so. How old is your youngest sister? Like, what are, what are the age range? <laughs> So I'm 28, Simone is 24, turning 25 in May, Shante is 19, Maya's 17, going on 18. So, okay. yeah, a, a nice age range, a nice age, age range. We're, we're all quite close um, as a family in general as well. But effectively, Trey, to keep, long story short, because of my upbringing, the minute I was able to let loose, I let loose. I was like... Now, so, so, question, when did you hit that age? Like, when was the let loose age? 
So technically, what I, what I was supposed to do is wait until university so that I can do it then, but I couldn't wait. So it started to creep in when I was probably final year of school. And um, I just used to do stuff like, you know, like not come home, just go where I want and think, do you know what? I'm just gonna get beaten or grounded, who cares? You know, like I, I knew, I knew the, 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 um, the pattern of punishment so, yeah. and, I, and I was over it. So I just started to do whatever I wanted really from, from 16. And in hindsight, I feel really bad because my parents went through so much stress. Like, What clicked in you at 16? Like, what was it when you were like, I gotta live my own life? Do you know what it was? Um, good question. So, I think, I was a little bit unruly, to be fair. My parents were, were, were quite fair looking back at it, but I just wanted to date boys. That's what I was. I was just, I was a little girl. I wanted to date boys. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to. And when, when I thought about my life, it was school, church, and at home on the Sunday, there was no way I was able to go out. That's like, you know, wash, clean. That's the time to get ready for the week. So there'll be times where I will just, be out and not come back home because I'm like for the whole know. night. Yeah, like for for day, and then I'll just take whatever I need to take when I come back, and that How was. Did your parents react to that. Oh my gosh! At the time, there was one time my dad came to a club and found me in a club, like, what? and I got dragged out the club. Like it was by security. It was. Horrific. Like, there's so many different scenarios that's happened. Um, and there was one time where he broke down and he cried and he, he said to me, you know, what have I done to deserve such bad behaviour? But when I, when, I look, when I look back at it, it was because I think I was, A, I was unruly and I was a rebel. And as a, as a person, as a character, in, even still now, I don't do what I'm told. Um, I do what makes sense. So if someone... That's, you know, says to me, even at work, if they say, Alicia, this is the process that I need you to follow, I'll say, okay, that's the process, but I need to understand it before I, I do it. I'm not, I'm not a robot. I'm not just going to do what you program me to do. That is how I am in general. So I think the, what my parents found challenging is particularly my dad, because he was brought up in Jamaica, where you do, as the adult says, he found it challenging that I was asking questions about his authority and what he said. And so then he just never used to answer and say, no, do what I say. So I used to be like, but you're not explaining it. Our relationship was kind exactly. of like command and control. Like, exactly, exactly. Question me, I'm the authority figure here. You just listen and follow instructions. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that's common in our culture though. Like it was like that when I grew up. I remember that was the saying my mom used to, my, my mom used to say in her, her sisters and brothers and our grandparents, children are to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we don't have thoughts and we don't literally have a say in anything. We don't. Do you remember that that um that scene in Matilda? I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're small. Um, do you I remember have, that? That's I have seen that movie, actually. Matilda? Yeah. You've never seen Matilda? Yeah, Okay, so there's a scene in Matilda where the dad says to the daughter, I'm big, you're small, I'm smart, you're dumb, da da da. And sometimes my dad used to say that, and I'd be like, wow. Wow. My, like, wow. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how we was raised. Listen to your parents. And my, my sister that's close to me in age, the 25 year old, she is like that. She will listen and do. 
like she follows all instructions. She follows every single instruction. And to some degree, I, I see a lot of the benefits now, but I don't regret making the decisions that I made because I've had a really good life so far. Like I've really explored and I've experienced some great things and, you know, I've tested my character. I've built my character so much. So, you know, if like, even when I compare it in workplaces, my sister, there's certain things that she'll tell me what happened at work. And I'm like, you need to approach it like this. And she'll like say, no, I can't challenge the boss. Me, I say, meeting please. Here is the agenda. And this is what we are going to discuss. Okay. Right. Like, let's make this make sense. That's how I am. I know, so. I'm getting a lot of information from you. So that 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 rebellion, that rebellious part of you, it's actually helped you professionally because now you question things that don't necessarily make sense, but people probably have been doing it for a while simply because they've been doing it for a long time. Uh, but I want to ask, like, so that period that that the wilding out started, or that you got a little wild and started staying out, sixteen. How long did it last? So, okay, so that was, a, that was a rough time in my life. So I remember um, at a certain point, my dad sent me to my auntie's house. Mm. She, like, I lived with her for like about four or five months. Um, she was like the auntie that everyone sent their child to when your child was misbehaving. But I didn't understand why when I lived there, because I was thinking, she's softer than my parents. Like, yeah. I was sneaking out even more. And then my parents realised, oh my goodness, she's getting worse. Hey, bring her back, bring her back, bring her back. So I went back to my parents' house. And then my dad tried, what did he try to do? Um, again, he tried, he tried to be just really strict and that, and you know, I'm, I'm gonna be really open here. When I was um, 17 or 18, second year of college, um, I felt pregnant. Mm. Um, and when I felt pregnant, and this is something that, again, I've spoken about with my parents multiple times before, you know, what, you know, what would you do, daddy, if I got pregnant? What would happen? You know, you, you had that conversation with them before. Loads of times. Yeah. Just to kind of, again, that's my, that's my testing character to see what would you do if, just to see what I can get away with. And my dad would always say out the house, you know, so when that happened, and he, he said, yeah, you're out of the house. I was in shock because he was being dead serious. Like that moment, not the next morning, that moment you're packing right up. Right there and there. He there and then you're going. And that's exactly what happened. And that year was probably one of the toughest years of my entire life um, where I lived. I got like a council accommodation. I lived with my boyfriend a little bit. I lived with my friend for a little bit. And then I went straight on and moved into uni. So I moved into uni not coming from my parents' house. They had kind of, not given up, but they'd given up at that point. And it wasn't until my, you know, when I was at uni for the first year, um, I reconnected with my parents again, because we hadn't spoken for like about a year. I, I yeah, I reconnected with them again and um, apologised for, you know, being a brat, because they had, because in hindsight, when I looked at a lot of my friends and the fact that I came from a stable home where they have demonstrated a good relationship and they've given us a good upbringing and all they wanted to do is protect me from any danger, you know, and just give me the best life. I looked at it and I thought, yeah, you know, you had a good life and you didn't need to go through that. But you did, but you didn't need to. So, yeah. Does that so, make sense? Um, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so when you, when you got pregnant, did you go through with it? If you don't mind me asking, I mean, we don't... No, of course. I'm, like, I'm, I'm open. I'm cool. So I got an abortion at the time. Okay. Um, again, that's something that 
I, I can't say how I feel about, I feel about that, that, that decision now, but it was the best decision at the time for me. Um, as a teenager, you, you know. About it a lot? Do I what? Do you think about it a lot? No, I don't think about it at all. Unless I'm speaking about it, no. Oh. I don't. Um, I think that it was the best decision for me at the time um, mm. because I was able to grow and be myself and explore who I am as a character. I feel like a child would have changed that a lot at the time. Mm. Um, and I, I wasn't ready. And I, I hadn't even gone to university yet. I was about to start university. You know, I, was, I, I did my travel abroad. I wouldn't have been able to do a travel abroad in a year abroad if I had a child at the time. So, um, yeah, I had to just make a decision that was best um, for me at the time. So, okay. So you went to university. Um, I'm assuming you graduated because now you're, you're working in... I graduated! I don't know how because I partied throughout my whole university time, if I'm being completely honest with you. I okay. really... Where'd you go? <laughs> I went to... Um, Hertfordshire University. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to party when you go to university. I know I did. I was like, those were some of the funnest times in my life. Exactly. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Like, how, I, how many I, lectures did you go to? Say it again. How many lectures and classes did you go to? Uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest. Like, when I first went to undergrad, um, I live in Fort Worth, but I went to undergrad in a city called Houston, which is like four or five hours south right. of from where I lived. And so I got there, I, you know, I always excelled academically. So I didn't necessarily need to go to class every day. This is what I was telling myself. So I would go to class, <laughs> you know, I would go to class on test review days and then on test days in undergrad, like those first, what, four years. You know, and I passed, but the grades were not great. Like they were nowhere what they should have been for someone who really, you know, had an aptitude for learning and a and an appetite for learning. But it, it was like once I moved out of my parents' house, I mean, my upbringing was was similar to yours. Uh, my parents were very disciplined and structured. My dad, he was a preacher. My mom, she was an educator. You know, she was a day day daycare school teacher, and so there were certain values that were instilled in us and and morals that we were expected to live by while we were living in our parents homes mm. and so when I, when I moved out I was like well you know I was exposed to a completely different world like even in, in our house I thought about it when when I became a teenager because I moved when I was like 17. Mm. we didn't even listen to secular music same yeah so <laughs> a lot of the music that my peers had heard over the years I was just being introduced to you know, and that just wow. opened up a whole new world in and of itself. And then just meeting different people from different walks in life, you know, people yeah. who had done different things. Now, don't get me wrong, I grew up in a neighborhood that uh, had a lot of different uh, personality types, I'll say. You know, we had a very strong gang culture where I grew up. Uh, in some neighborhoods, you know, it was drugs and drug infested. You know, there were a lot of single mothers, mm. you know, it just a lot of it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't all bad. Mm. You know, I was fortunate enough to have both my parents when we were growing up. But it was like when I left the house, I was like, well, I need to see what the rest of this is about. You know, and so a part of that was going to the parties, you know, having fun, mm. yeah. uh, drinking for the first time, you know, mm. those types of things, which I think. In everybody's life especially in those early 20s 
you know, you're on a journey. You're searching for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you're finding a place in the world. You're, you're really deciding what kind of person will I be? You know, because I had an idea of who I wanted to be when I was younger. But, you know, it's something completely different when you actually move outside of your parents' house and your decisions are solely your own without anybody's input. Mm. You, know, you might have to answer for it later on, but ultimately, mm. you now are responsible for any decisions and the consequences that come with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So uh, what did you go to uni for? And then after you left uni, what did you do? Like, what was your degree in? Um, so I went to uni initially. <laughs> I went I went to uni initially for international business with Espanol. But um I got kicked out of the Spanish class of the course, actually. Um, because like you, I partied and I didn't go to any classes. Now, like again, like exactly like what you said, I went to the pretest classes and be like, what's gonna be covered? Great, fantastic. Yeah. Less, less, you know, and I, and I went to the exam. But with Spanish, no, 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 no. You had to go to 75% of the classes in the year in order to even pass. So when I went to the exam. So attendance was, was a part of. Yeah, attendance was a part of it. And I didn't know that. I was, and you know, when there's nothing you can do. And I stood there, I was like, oh my gosh, there's nothing I can do right now. <laughs> like, there's nothing. Because I can't, I can't go to the glasses that I've just gone now. So I was, I remember I'd been in the, in the test. I'm, I'm really dramatic and I really, you know, I don't really think things through sometimes. So at the time when the exam was happening, and the teacher was like, sorry, you can't take the test. I said, no, but just let me take it. She was like, there's no point, you failed already. I said, no, but how have I failed? And I haven't taken the test. I was going back and forth, back and forth. And then I said, you know what, buy Spanish. So in short, um, I did international business and by itself. And I did a study year abroad in San Jose where I worked for a year. And also I, I studied there for a year as well. So that was- uh, San Jose? State, university. Okay, in the States? Yeah. In California. In California, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I lived there. Make sure I have it correct. Okay. How, how, what was that experience like? It was, oh my gosh, there's, there's so many angles on that experience. It was overall very life changing. I hate to sound cliche, but it was very life changing. It really taught me so much about myself. Yeah. I would encourage anybody out there to. If you haven't, if you can't study by yourself or work abroad by yourself, at least travel by yourself for, you know, as long as you possibly can, you know, because one thing I found is that I was making more decisions in San Jose for me. And because I didn't have any friends around me to really say, oh, let's do this, that. And of course I met people, but I, w- I was still very independent and very like, no, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel like doing. And um, I also... You know, yeah, the peer group does definitely create sort of a group think after a while, especially if you mm-hmm. guys have been tied to each other for years. Mm-hmm. And that influence is something that's undeniable. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like all of a sudden you like these TV shows, you like this music, but why do you like it? It's because that's what's been around you with your friends and you've, you know, that's what you've grown to like. Mm-hmm. And um, even the other day, really random, I was telling one of my close friends I've had for years <clears throat> that I want to go to like a house festival. She was like, house? Since when have you liked house? I was like, I've, I've been exploring other genres apart from dancehall and soca, you know? <laughs> and she's like, since when? I said, no. 
it's not what you like, but it's something that I've been exploring and I, I'm enjoying it. I love, I love Afro House now. So, so for those of our listeners and mm. some of the people that are watching, could mm. you tell us what house music is? Oh, no, yeah. So there's different types of house, okay? So we have something called funky. So house in general, actually, um, as a genre, how would you describe it? How would I describe it? It's upbeat, it's lively, it's summery. It, it gives, it, it really influences your mood, 100%. So, now, is it like dance music? Is it vibe music? Like, yeah, you can dance to it. You can vibe to it. You can chill to it. It depends on what type of house. So, have you not listened to house before, Trey? Uh, I don't think so. Not, not knowingly. I can't say that I've turned on and be like, yeah, I'm going to listen to some house music. I haven't. Really? But Spotify, you know, it plays different artists. It's, some artists are from the UK, but I don't know if it will be classified or categorized as house music. So I can't say yes. <laughs> I'm going to send you a playlist or I'm going to send you a mix because mixes are easier. There's a okay. particular mix that I listen to. There's two. There's one that's Afro House. Um, okay. It's just it's great. It's just, it's wonderful for working to or vibe, vibing to. Now, there's another one that's like a workout mix. So it's that's like- That's what I was just about to say, do you have a good workout mix? I've got a workout one. That I, and it's, it's, it's so good because the, the DJs on there are like, come on, another set, let's go, come on. And you're like, you're doing your workout and you're just, we're getting motivated. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. And if you want, you can, I don't know, add it as a link to the podcast. So anyone listening out there, could join in. <laughs> okay. cool. what, yeah, send that over. I think people would love that. What What music are you typically into? Uh, you know, it depends on my mood. Like, so if I'm working out, I'm usually listening to a lot of rap. Um, oh. If I'm taking like a long walk, I'll probably listen to like some soulful R&B. Ooh. You know, if I'm relaxing and I'm being a bit reflective, I might listen to some jazz. Um, if I'm studying or, or writing, I might have a little classical playing in the background. Okay. Uh, if I get up early in the morning and I'm cleaning, I might have some gospel music on. Ooh, we like uh, some church. Up, uh, you know, up in the mornings. You know, I, you know, I grew up with that 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 influence. You know, my from my mom and my dad. So, and some of the music is like really good. I enjoy it. And not just the music, but the message also. Mm -hmm. um, I'll listen to my cousin, he makes music. So sometimes when I clean it up, I'll put his music on and, and listen to that. So it all depends, you know, mood, what I'm doing at the time. It, it, it's a range of it. Oh, and I recently started, I did start listening to, um, what is that other kind of music called here? Uh, it's not drill. It's not house. It's something else. Huh? Oh, Afro beats. Afro beats. Yeah. So. What about dancehall and reggae? Uh, I was listening to reggae back in the states. Dancehall, not so much. Cause I'm not. I'm not a big dancer. You know, you get you get a two step out of me. You know, and groove. <laughs> you know, stamp my fingers. You know, that's, <laughs> that's gonna be the extent of it for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. What? I mean, I like the fact that you're very eclectic. Um, like myself, actually, I do, I do like different types of music. But um, just on the point of gospel, can you confirm that gospel singers are the best singers or not? Um, 
on a, as a whole, like, I wouldn't say they were the best. I, I think there's a different inspiration. And so the sound, I don't think you could compare the two to, you know, secular singers. Because again, it's a different inspiration. Mm. Uh, if we were just going solely on technical vocals, I don't know. It would be hard for me to say. Really? Yeah, that would be awesome. No, There's really good secular singers, too. But where do they come um, from? Um, Most time it's from the church. Say it again? Most time it's from the church. You know what? Their background, a lot of them started in the church. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I haven't given it that much thought. You might be right. You might be right. So... Yeah. I want to catch back up to where we were. Mm. So you you graduated with your international business degree. Mm -hmm. How did you get into, you said you became a talent acquisition recruiter, and then now you're in the diversity space. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you first get into talent acquisition? And, and I'm assuming that's like HR, right? Human resources. If they, they work hand in hand, mm -hmm. um, but... But, but not HR. I like to. I tell people that all the time because HR they look after you when you start the business. Unfortunately, once you start, generally you you, you don't really focus on it. But now I'm in DNI. Yes, we we do kind of work with HR a lot. But um, so it might be easier if I talk to you about my journey from university because it will make more sense for me to just explain. So when I left university, I worked for Hertz. You know the car rental company. Yes. Yeah. So I was a fleet, I was a UK fleet operations coordinator, which is basically they had, you know, like zip cars, right? Where you can just go there. So I manage um, a fleet of 500 vans and cars um, around the UK and just basically manage them. So that was a lot of work and a lot of logistics for a, for a graduate. You know, my head used to be, my, every day my head was just like, oh my gosh. And I had to manage a team of five. It was a lot, and I think this was your first job. Alex. My first, yes, I promise you. So I was like, "This is a lot," and I think I was on something silly like twenty-one k. Like it was ridiculous. I was, and the person before me was like a grown man. And the reason why they gave me that job is because when I was in university, I was that man's assistant, and I was like doing admin. And then when I left, he left to be a full-time DJ. And then they were like, "Oh, do you want to take his job?" And I was just like, okay, great. You know, this is this is me just launching into my career. Not really. Now, did they give you a pay bump? I'm assuming you got a, you got more money, right? Uh, not really. I mean, a little bit, but not, they wasn't paying me what they should have been paying me for that job. Yeah, I yeah. It was they they got a lot out of me, you know, from and then I realized that because it was very it was very admin heavy logistics, a lot of Excel spreadsheets, mm -hmm. and then I found myself. I was like. I've got way too much personality to be doing this, like to just be very logistics and operations and, you know, data -y. I said, that's not me. Like, you know, so I remember I said, I want to be in recruitment. I said, that's it. I want to be in recruitment. Don't know where it came from. Um, and I just started to interview with loads of recruitment companies. I remember um, I interviewed for about three to four months. And I got nothing. Like I, everyone was saying no. I, I made it to final stage. It was like it, it, it was dreadful, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
And so I gave up on the whole recruitment idea because I remember I got knocked back for the final, you know when someone just says something that just tips you over the edge, when they just said, you know, I just don't think you're suitable for recruitment. That's not something that I'll look at for you. So then I said, you know what, maybe it's not for me. I keep on getting a no. Mm. So I then started to divert to all sales. I said, okay, well, what else can I do? Let me do sales. Then um, I started to sell events, mm. um, like corporate events, basically, like in the digital marketing space and mm. e-commerce space. I really enjoyed that. I thrived with that. I really built my resilience in that role. That was, that was good. Very laddie environment. And, my, and they gave me a nickname. Trey, guess what they called me as my nickname? Hold on. When you say a very laddie environment, do you mean it was like male dominated? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, you know, I'm just going to translate for the people, you know, who don't. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Laddie environment. Very, you know. Friday drinks, you know, oi, oi, like, you know, guys, very guy. And I was like the only black girl there. Um, wow. and, so yeah. what, what is your nickname? Guess first. Uh, I, have, I don't know. Like, um, so my nickname was Bosch. Bosch lady, I don't know. Bosch chick, oh my gosh, you got it correct, ish. Really? Well, boss chick, yeah. So they used to, in meetings, hey, boss chick, what's like, hey, boss chick, whatever. And it was, do you know what, for me, I really liked the way they turned, there was a bit of a stereotype there because they saw, you know, black girl, feisty, da 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 whatever. But they changed it into a positive. And yeah. they, they were like, yeah, hey, boss chick. And like, that was my name at work. Like, I can't remember my name being called, apart from like, even in emails. So, hey, boss chick, da 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 I'm like, okay, that's my name. <laughs> and, and, one thing I, you know, I contemplated when leaving that company, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not gonna, this name isn't gonna be with me anymore. Like, I can't go to a new business and be like, hey, by the way. That's wonderful. Like you have built a brilliant brand for yourself within that company. Yeah, I did, I did. It was good. I, I, I enjoyed working there a lot. Like, I loved it. And when I left, it was very impulsive. Like, I, I remember, literally waking up and my dad used to have anxiety attacks with me doing this because i used to wake up and be like dad i'm gonna quit my job today he's like no way he's like why and i said no i don't want to do it anymore i want to change my i changed my mind and he would literally be like you can't be living like this and that's just how i am i'm very impulsive so i remember i had that conversation with my manager like on a friday i said yeah do you know what i'm tired of selling these events um and i want to move on you know it's not nothing personal to anybody i just want to move on it's, it's sales is draining, FYI, for anyone considering it. Have you, have you done it before, Trey? Um, I did like telemarketing sales like when I was younger. I don't know if that would translate the same as what you were doing, but essentially we were doing, I was doing like insurance. And so selling insurance policies. And yeah, it requires a lot of, uh, you're required to be uh, very much an extrovert, which by nature I'm not. You know, a lot of people, they meet me to assume I am because um, I can hold a halfway decent conversation. But naturally, you know, I like books. I like being around myself. You know, I enjoy spending time with myself. So that's yeah. something outside of my comfort zone that I've learned to grow into. So, yeah. yes, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's like, it, it was difficult and it took a lot of energy. Um, mm. And then I said, yeah, I, 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 I want to move companies. So... I then went to a recruitment company um, and 
to, for them to obviously get me a job. And I don't know if you've met with recruiters before, but sometimes working with recruiters back in the day, pre-COVID, they would say, let's meet face to face. And it wasn't necessarily for a job. It was just for them to meet you before they put you forward to yes, any time. Yeah. So when I went to this recruiter, bear in mind, I had been in touch with them um, couple years beforehand when I was applying for jobs and I remember them handling me really well I didn't get any jobs through them but when they rejected no, you handling you really well what do you mean they gave me feedback on interviews or some recruiters that they they some recruiters won't get back to you at all about anything you'll, you'll go for an interview you'll put in the work and you're chasing them for feedback and you know and because you didn't get the job as a recruiter you're just on okay hunt mode I need to get someone that's going to get me the money so they handled me with care you know, they'll give me thoughtful feedback. They gave me hope and they gave me reassurance. So I remembered them as an agency, um, Aspire Recruitment Agency. That's, that, that's who it was. And I said, when I'm looking for a job again, I'm, I'm going to get back in touch with them, which I did. Mm. I remembered the person's name and everything um, that, you know, that I dealt with. So when I went with them to interview um, or to, to meet them, mm. they said, why don't you work here? So I said, oh. Well, internally, as a recruiter, the same job that I was being rejected four years ago. That was like, yeah, we think that you built up the skills. And on, in hindsight, it was me working in sales that was probably had shaped my skill sets and how I approach conversations and, you know, uh-huh. so forth. So, so I was like, that was probably a good move. So then, um, yeah, so I, I ended up working internally there. There wasn't necessarily a position for me, but they created one um, where I had to basically build up my desk from scratch, which means build up my clients and candidates from scratch. Um, which in hindsight, again, I could have done that for myself and I would have been a millionaire probably by now if, if I had done that for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into recruitment. But it sounds like you got a millionaire worth of knowledge and experience from, <laughs> from the role. <laughs> kind of. Which is really good. Yeah, okay. kind of. But I um, hope that answers the question. Then, yes, yeah, so, and then after agency side recruitment, I moved to another business. Mm-hmm. Stayed there for six months, went through hell in regards to DNI. And after that role, I said, I am going to now specialize in DNI because I don't want anybody else um, experiencing anything close to what I've experienced. And talent acquisition goes hand in hand with DNI, actually, in hindsight. So that's when I moved to, to Hidden Talent Consultancy. Um, yeah, and I've That's been here with currently. Yeah, consultant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, what is your passion behind being not? I know you mentioned something, but I think in our initial conversation you were talking about a, a negative experience you had, and then you just mentioned you didn't want that to happen to somebody else. Could you elaborate on yeah. that? Yeah. So when I worked um, in the business, if you go into my, I don't like to really name names, but if you go into my LinkedIn profile, the place I was at before Hidden, that will tell you. Um, effectively. Oh, uh, how do we find you on LinkedIn? Oh, my name is Alicia Richardson. It's a picture of my face smiling. Um, I am trying to think how you'd find me on LinkedIn. So you could just put your name in the search bar. Then, right? Put my name in the search bar. Hopefully I'll, I'll come up um okay. otherwise yeah email me alicia at hidden.io and then i can send you a link if you really if you really want to connect i'm i'm fine with that but um yeah so in that workplace um the trend was i went above and beyond my role above and beyond continuously and mm. um there was several incidences where my work was either being overlooked 
extremely scrutinized. I was being labeled um, as aggressive um, sometimes just by responding to an email. Um, there was way too many fingers being pointed at me. Um, the CEO, you know, would kind of come to us as a group of black people sometimes and say, you know, you guys, it doesn't look good if you guys are all together, you can separate, you're like, you look like wait, a gang wait, together. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So this is a group of black people and yeah. the CEO is what? He's white, yeah, he's white. And it doesn't look good for you guys to be grouped together, why? Yeah. Exactly. And we all, we, we all asked that question, he said, it just doesn't look good, you know, it's, it looks a bit gangy and you guys need to separate and yeah, exactly. So- a real reason, is he just no. look good? No, no, no. There was there were so many microaggressions in that workplace. Hmm. I need that's a whole nother podcast. If I go through every okay. single situation, that's a whole nother podcast. But effectively I experienced masses, mass amount of microaggression to the point where I'm I'm generally quite a confident character. But it broke me. I I, I remember crying down the phone to my mum and saying, Mum, I cannot go in there again. I cannot take another day of this. I'm going to leave it. Like mentally, I'm weak. I have, I'm, I'm losing desire to work for them and do my job. Um, and I don't want to lose myself in the situation. And, you know, I'm living by myself. And, my, you know, I was thinking if I, leave, if I quit my job now, I don't know how long it's going to take, you know, to get another job. Um, but I have a faith, you know, I have a faith. In, in God, I've got faith in um, me as an individual. And, um, you know, I, quit, I remember I quit my job, but before, actually the same day I quit it, I sent a message to my, my now founder. Um, I sent a message to him saying, I love your ethos, your values. I want to come and work for you. Spoke to me the same day. The next day I spoke to his colleague. Basically within like a week I was hired, you know, and that- and This was you reaching out cold. Me just reaching out. There was no about the company. Yeah, there was no job advert online. I just pitched myself and said, "This is what I want to do for your business. This is what where I see myself adding value." And they took that on board, gave me the money I was asking for, and yeah, like it was. It was from from there. It was. It's been really smooth sailing. And one thing that they've allowed me to do, which is incredible, is they said you can have, you can do whatever you want with your clients. Like have whatever impact you need to make. So I'm making changes you know, in regards to how, you know, wording and job descriptions from to policies to training on unconscious bias and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm having such a, a bigger impact in my job now. That is wonderful. Um, and you said you started with this company about four years ago, right? So I started in recruitment four uh, years ago. Yeah. How long have you been with Hidden? I've been with Hidden since January last year. Um, and I left that other job December last year, so I had it was a it was perfect timing before COVID, before this whole pandemic. Because imagine I didn't find anything, and it, in March that would have been just a nightmare. Yeah, definitely. So I'm just thinking about what we talked about earlier about you know your professional role now, and then you also have your other side, well, your other businesses going on mm. as a uh, last tech and also your, your career coaching. Uh, so obviously having multiple streams of income is important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to ask, like you said you went to private school and um, mm -hmm. I think some public school, uh, were you prepared like in, in the education system you think to handle money? Uh, manage Not at all. 
No, is that okay. something that uh, was discussed like in the household with your parents? Yeah, my dad was always like from a young age, he used to say, Alicia, make sure you save your money. Make sure you save. And I used to be like, I'm, honestly, I took zero advice growing up. Zero. So you didn't save anything. Didn't save, like growing up, no. I start, this is going to sound crazy to everybody, everyone. I started saving when I left home, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, makes sense to me. Like, I, didn't, I started saving a little, <laughs> I want to say like in my late 20s. Yeah. Yeah, I was not managing my finances. Probably. Yeah, no, nor was I. I got into huge debt as well, like over nothing, you know, just taking out credit cards, spending it. Um, thank God I've paid all of it off, you know, and I worked towards that. But And it's okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm actually fine with having kind of gone through that experience because I feel like I'm extra vigilant and I'm a bit more of a risk taker when it comes to like investing and stuff like that as well now because I'm not afraid to lose money either because I've been at a point where I've had nothing you know so now because I know how to manage it a bit better mm. and um you know I feel much more comfortable making certain investments or taking certain plunges I feel confident whereas I feel like like my sister for, for example she's a brilliant saver but I think in saying that she surprised herself a little bit in life, a little bit. You know, she she won't she won't spend she won't like on a holiday. She'll spend a hundred pounds in a week, at a, and that's her budget. You know, yeah, like she's very very tight. And I think you can't truly enjoy yourself if you don't have moments where you just spoil yourself. If that makes sense. I mean, that's the purpose of working hard. Like you can't take this this with you. Yeah, you can pass it on generational wealth, but it's also meant for enjoyment while you're here. So yeah, mm-hmm. I get. Hmm. Um. You just made me think about something else too, though. Like, so your dad, obviously he was, he was telling you to save. You didn't start saving until later. But do you think the fact that, cause you said your parents now have a security company. Like, it sounds like that entrepreneurial spirit was, is in the bloodline. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were inspired by your parents to start your own businesses? Well, somewhere else like that? Well, yes. And also to have, multiple streams of income because in addition to the prayer coach and lash tech i also manage an influencer called bami kateye um, and managing her comes with so much responsibility but benefits as well that's another Can you repeat that it kind of cut out on my oh, oh sorry i'm also man- managing an influencer called bami kateye who's uh, um yeah so she's a, she specializes in kind of dance and female empowerment um, but I, you know, manage her collaborations, so corporate bookings, um, you know, client PR and all of that. So again, I get paid from that too. Okay. So, um, what what my parents have taught me is, it's important to be a good person, mm. because my dad talked me through the opportunities that he was given in life. Mm. So he used to have a restaurant. He can cook really good. He had a restaurant at one point in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, then went on to get to a security company but what I learned is that when you're a good person and people can trust you mm-hmm. opportunities will come your way that you're not even prepared. like sometimes you don't even plan for that opportunity you know like when I when I um, started working with Bami for example mm-hmm. um, I had no idea about PR or working or managing influencers like no idea my friends would always say to me you know, you'll be great at managing influencers and you, you know, you'll do this. And I'd be like, I don't know. But 
um, over the years, before I even started working with Bami, I used to attend her dance classes. Mm. And every workplace I went to, I used to refer her to do a workshop or a well-being um, talk or a dance class because I thought she was genuinely great. And it wasn't until we went to an event at Facebook, actually, and I met her there. You know, I saw her. I was like, oh, my goodness, hey. And we got really drunk. And she said to me, I've been meaning to ask you if you can manage me. And I said, what? Like, we, and at this point, we weren't really friends, you know. I, think, I don't think we even had each other's numbers. I just used to refer her all the time for business. And she said, you've got me so much business and you've referred me, like, off your free spirit. I think if you used to work with me, me properly, you can do so much more. And that kind of goes back down to when you're a good person in general, people can see things in you that you can't even see. And opportunities will just come your way and that's what and ever since i mean ever since she's come into my life she, the amount of money that she's helped me to make on the side has been ridiculous like i owe her so much and there's more that that we're making so effectively she's helping me with my long-term goals of you know being able to buy a house potentially and to be able to travel to certain places and do certain things it's helped so much so um yeah just being a good person is what i've learned from my parents okay Okay, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, because I was going to ask how you got into that. Uh, so you have quite a bit going on. So you have your nine to five, <laughs> you know, in the DNI space, and then you also have your last tech business, and then you also have your career coaching, and you're also managing an influencer. Yeah, this is incredible. Like Renaissance woman, We're, we got alive right now, y'all. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, so I wanted to ask. Um, you were saying about being a good person and how that pays off exponentially in ways that sometimes you can't even see. And I agree with that. But also, I, I was just looking at one of the questions that I asked you on the pre-question, uh, pre-interview questionnaire, and it was about something that impacted you or influenced you the most. And you referenced, um, uh, it's the book by, I want That's to say, yeah, How to Win and Influence Friends. Why did that have the most impact on you? That's a book that I read. I'll never forget. I read it when I was in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And um, that, it helped me to, basically, I'm trying to think if I had to say, I'd say this. It helped me to be open to different types of personalities mm -hmm. and know how to address um, address new people in my life because I because I, I I noticed look I meet loads of people all the time especially when I was in San Jose I was like I need to learn how to to you know speak and engage and but still be myself with different people like what's the most authentic way of doing that and some of the key things that I took away from that book is by um always trying to help someone in in whatever, whatever way you can so it, it can be something small right if that's your nature if that's something that you that you do even if you don't directly get something back, back from that person, you've managed to add value to that person and they're not going to forget that. And actually, throughout my career, applying that, that's, like, I've, I've applied that. And then I look back and I think, my parents have done that. That's what, that's what my parents have done. They've just given. And now they are more than blessed. Like, it's, it's crazy. Um, so I always, whenever I meet someone, especially in, in business and in sales and recruitment, sometimes you meet people that have a really thinking attitude for no reason they're just in a really bad place and 
I know how to approach situations better because of things I learned in that book. So I might jump on a phone to a candidate and I hear that they're in a bad mood. Now, some people will just surpass that and just get straight to the conversation and just get what they need to get out of it. I always will say, you sound down. What's up? What's, what's, what, you know, what's, what's bothering you? Do you mind speaking about it? If you don't want to speak about it, um, what can we do to help? Should I reschedule the interview to another day so that you have a moment? You know, just, just small things where you've taken note and you've um, shown that you care about the other person, it will go a long way. And I've noticed that candidates will happily work with me again, even when I, get, um, even when I say it's a no. Clients happily come back to me. I get a lot of private recruitment clients um, requesting, saying, Alyssa, could you help me with this? You know, I love the way you handled us and the way you care. And also what I've learned is that when you have this attitude, you can still get what you want out of someone. You, you can still get the money, the salary you want, or you can still get the negotiation you want. But, you, but because you've made sense and you've shown to be a genuine person that's not greedy, that's actually trying to make things work both ways, it's just, it, you know, it's, it, it serves long-term benefits. So yeah, that's, that book's really been my character, you know, over my adult years. Yeah, and it sounds like you've applied that in your personal and your professional life. That's wonderful. Um, so I want to ask, like, currently, like, and from a financial standpoint, like you have multiple streams of income. And I, I asked you a few questions on the questionnaire about current wealth building strategies. And you <laughs> I just take two of them. Yeah, and, and entrepreneurship and budgeting and financial goal planning, which I, I think you've, you've illustrated throughout the conversation. Uh, you said there were two other areas that you wanted to learn about, like credit management and debt, debt reduction. Uh, but earlier you said you were on, you had a huge amount of debt. I want to ask, how did you manage that? And how did you get that reduced or has it been reduced completely? Yeah, so it's, so the bulk of the debt that I had, which was mainly on credit cards, <laughs> two credit cards, um, I, I managed to get rid of all, all, all of that. Um, and I, and how, how I did it, right, was um, A, facing the debt. I think a lot of the time, people because I did this for a while so if I did it I'm sure I'm not the only person that did this just do the minimum monthly payments but continue to spend on a credit card and you're not making any progress and you're and then you know three years down the line how am I in more debt because sometimes they will just increase the, uh, the limit and when you don't have any spending um control you just spend it right so I said to myself okay cool this needs to change because you need to buy a house one day. You need to, you know, set up good for your family. So you need to know how to manage. If you're going to have a credit card, you need to know how to manage it. And I said to myself, you you know, I had to have a conversation with me. I, and it's so important to the same way we do reviews at work. Um, it's important to do it, I think, for every aspect of your life. So for me, I had to review myself and say, you're going on these holidays, you're wearing these things, you're doing all these things, but you have this debt. It doesn't make any sense. So what I did is I thought about the different streams of income that I can get. You know, another thing that I do is I rent my car out as well. And you have to, and you have to not be embarrassed to do anything as well to make extra money. Like, just think, be humble. You know, it can be eight things you're doing or two things, whatever it is that you're doing, strategize and say, how much can I realistically make at a minimum from this money? And that's what I did. I planned. I planned how much I can make, what I'm going to have to cut back on savings as well um 
And then I just done a timeline and said, okay, I'm going to probably pay this off by this time. And I got to it. And when I got to it, I remember I'm sitting down in my, in my front room and just kind of crying to myself because I was so happy because I was like, oh my goodness, I've reached a goal. Like I've done this. I've complete. I've gotten rid of this that, weight. Is that one of your first financial goals that you have completed? Yeah, because I said to myself, I'm saving to buy, but it doesn't make sense for me to save to buy right now if I haven't, if I haven't cleared this amount of debt. So I had to do that first. And then I felt like, okay, great. I can go on to the next chapter, which is saving to buy, you know, an investment property. So that's, it's, it's a great feeling. Um, and anyone out there, because I've spoken to a lot of girls, even girls that I do lashes for have told me how much debt they're in. That was, that's a past mine, you know, or that's really great. And these are young girls in their 20s. One thing that I would have to say is, be no one to say no to certain things as well you don't need to go on every single holiday you don't need to, to to buy a new outfit for every single occasion you don't need to you know spend you don't need to, to, to spend your money on and things that don't need to be spent on now i do my own nails <laughs> to, to save money because i had to i had to I, you know i love doing my nails um it costs money what's the what's the solution you, you have to you have to learn to do it yourself you know so you have to find ways to be creative think outside the box um yeah and like don't and have faith when you don't believe something i'm reading another book at the moment called psycho cybernetics when you um and, and what it kind of teaches me in the book at the moment is you can define your self-image today you don't have to be defined by what you've historically done so if historically you've been a bad spender and you're the person that isn't good with your finances that doesn't have to be who you are going forward you can be the financial financially responsible millionaire you know you can change it so yeah yeah it, it puts you in control of your narrative exactly i'm all about that yeah mm -hmm. i love that um so i want to ask now like you mentioned purchasing a home is one of your other financial goals uh do you have any others that you would like to share with us <laughs> how you plan to reach those good question um honestly i feel like I want to be making so much money to the point where I have the ability to travel when I want. I can live how I want. I can give my, my children the education that they deserve. Um, I want to be able to, you know, give, give to my loved ones how I want to give to them. I'm someone, I'm a gift giver. Right, I'm an experience giver, so I love I love hosting, I love doing things. All these things cost money, so I want to be in a position where I can do these things without a fault, without thinking, oh, I need this and this covered. Um, I want to be able to give back, you know, to in, in Jamaica, whether it's through education, whether it's helping um, my community, whatever it is, I want to be able to do that because um, that's important. That's so. I've got family in Jamaica. That's you know, and I, and I see the opportunities that they're limited to. So I want to be able to expand on that. That's those things is what I want to be able to invest in and help in in the future. Um, and I'm not gonna lie. Let's be real. I love luxury. I love a luxury lifestyle. So I need to be able to afford that abundantly. Um, so I mean, to kind of be more practical with it, because I've kind of given you intangible goals. Um, I want to be earning like around at some point, 10K a month, just coming in, 10K a month, um, without the tax man coming to me. That would be off side projects, that would be, and I'm not gonna get that just from working, you know, 
in, in, in my day job. It's not going to happen. That is like a small portion of that. And also, just to put it out there, people need to stop thinking that in order to truly be an entrepreneur, they need to quit their job. No, you don't. Quit, like your job is another extra form of income. You can do entrepreneurship on top. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been really good. Uh, so I, I, I did want to do a few key takeaways like from this interview because you touched on a lot of really, I think, important topics. Uh, top of mind right now was what you were saying about the book that you read uh, mm -hmm. by Dale Carnegie. You know, adding value to someone else's life, helping someone, even if you think it's small, you know, it does. I've seen that in my own life. I always think of how can I how can I help somebody? I want every interaction, whether it's with a total stranger, to be a positive, constructive one. Even mm -hmm. if I'm just giving them something as simple as directions, mm -hmm. or it might go to, you know, to the other end of the spectrum where it's a formal relationship, like a mentor-mentee relationship, and mm -hmm. they're giving them advice and direction on their lives in a professional and personal sense. So, I, I think that's a key takeaway. Also, what you were saying, belief in self. And understanding that you control your narrative and every day can be a new day for you it can be better than the day before and mm -hmm. you can be a better person than you were the day before and then also super important the multiple streams of income and saving and reducing the debt like those things are really a wealth generating and are going to bring a really sound financial foundation to build on in the future uh this has been a really good session it has this has been a great conversation uh i really thank you for coming on taking the time out of your very busy schedule <laughs> no problem grace our, our distinct lens podcast uh it's been wonderful as oh before we do go you need to tell everybody every platform that they can find you on uh <laughs> like we need all the information okay cool so let me just go through the socials so i'm really open down to earth so you can connect with me on instagram although i'm taking a break from it at the moment my instagram is alicia latoya ldn for london how you spell alicia latoya is a-l-i-c-i-a l-a-t-o-y-a um, my instagram for my lash page is mobile lashes london um, if you wanted to see who Bami Kitea was and potentially look at brand collaborations or PR, mm -hmm. uh, um, just type in B-A-M-I and then Kitea, K-U-T-E-Y-I. Um, she has many articles on her, so you can find her on Google. Um, and LinkedIn connected me, Alicia and then Richardson. Um, where else? Clubhouse, again, Alicia Latoya. Um, and yeah, if you wanted to send me your CV for a job, I hire loads of creative roles, um, marketing roles, um, digital strategists, project managers, send me your CV um, to Alicia at hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N dot I-O, and I'd love to connect. Thank you so much for having me, Trey. You're welcome. Thank you for being such a great guest. It's okay. No worries. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.